Good morning and welcome to Contact Wave on DubLab.com. My name is Chris Kissel and with me, as per the usual, is my co-host, Chuck Soho. Good morning, Chuck. How are you doing? Chris, I am really excited about this episode. Me too. I'm excited because, first of all, we have just a lot of music to play and I'm always excited to share the music that we've discovered. But of course, before that, we have a very special conversation with Michael Stearns, who is you know, for a certain segment of our listeners really, I'm sure needs no introduction. Uh, But for folks who are not as familiar with Michael Stearns, he is well known and extremely well regarded as, uh, first of all, pioneer of ambient and new age music uh, for some of the music that he composed and recorded in the 70s and the 80s. But he's also done some really fascinating and also very well-known, uh, well-regarded work as a composer, sound designer, and soundtrack producer. You may have seen the movies Kronos or Baraka or Samsara, these sort of incredible, beautifully filmed movies, uh, films really, uh, that chronicle, you know, different places and ideas around the world. And Michael Stearns composed the beautiful music for those films, uh, as well as 22 IMAX films. Uh, I think a few of which include the films that I just mentioned, uh, as well as music for TV, feature films, planetariums, things like that. He released last year in 2021, an amazing collaborative album with Beyond Earth and Sky called Beyond Earth and Sky with Steve Roach, who is, you know, really uh, also very well regarded and well known as a a new age composer. Uh, The two of them go back like 40 years as collaborators, Uh, but he's got a new project that we're talking about today, which is the reissue of his classic 1981 new age pioneering epic planetary planetary unfolding we couldn't believe that we had the opportunity to to talk to him about this record it's a record i've been obsessed with for about 10 years and it's been essentially either out of print or you know not readily available in physical form until now uh, thanks to a collaboration with Project Records. So we're going to talk about all that. You know, we didn't miss an opportunity to talk to Michael Stearns about being a, you know, pioneering new age 
composer in the 70s or to talk about these incredible films that he scored. So we can't wait to share the conversation with you. And, you know, I don't know, Chuck, I think it might be fun to play a little bit of Michael Stern's music. So let's do that. I'm going to play a little bit of a snippet. I guess I guess that's a little redundant, but I'm going to play a bit of this track called In the Beginning. This is the first track from Planetary Unfolding. Listen to a little bit of this and then we'll go into our interview with Michael Stern. So keep it locked and enjoy. This is Contact Wave on Dub Lab with Chuck Soho, me, Chris Kissel, and soon our guest, Michael Stearns. Enjoy. Good morning, Michael Stearns, and welcome to Contact Wave on DubLab. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you too, Chuck. Thank you for being here. 
Um, it, it really is uh, so cool to be able to talk to you. We couldn't really ask for a better occasion than the reissue of Planetary Unfolding because it happens to be a record that we've enjoyed for years. And, you know, I, I think right off the bat, I'd like to know, you know, your, your partnership with Project Records is relatively new, uh, but, you know, you've done collaboration w- with Steve Roach, who is not a new collaborator for you, um, mm-hmm. as well as some other uh, releases with other artists. But this is going to be uh, your first reissue on the label. So could you tell us, you know, sort of what were the discussions that went into reissuing this album? And from what I understand, it's, it's the first planned reissue of several to come. Yeah, there will be more to come. Um, I, I've been asked to re-release Planetary Unfolding by a lot of different labels at different times. And I have wanted to keep the rights to it you know, here at home um, and not get into a situation where, you know, I, I give away the rights and then it's 10 years before I get them back again, because it is one of my seminal albums and uh, and project, it's the first of probably a number of releases the project will do of my older works and probably some of the newer works as well. Um, and both Steve and Steve Roach and Eric Wallow kind of turned me on to project. I had met Sam back in 2013 when uh, Stephen Hill of the Hearts of Space program had a, um, a live performance weekend. He invited me to perform and Steve Roach performed and a number of other people. It was called Ambicon, as I recall. I met Sam at that uh, performance. I performed and there was a um, a panel that Steve uh, Stephen Hill had where he introduced a number of different artists, myself, Steve Roach, and some other folks. And, uh, and Sam was also on the panel. And I think Steve brought Sam in as kind of like to talk about what it's like to run a label. At that point, uh, Stephen Hill was no longer running Arts of Space. That the label had been transferred to Valley Entertainment. So that's where I first met Sam, and I was really impressed with him. And Steve Roach said, "Hey, you should should really look at what this guy is doing, and uh, give a listen to some of their other releases and see if it might be a good fit for you." And it was. So um, Sam and I talked, and we decided we'd do a number of releases over the next couple of years of my older works, and we'd start with Planetary Unfolding. So the entire album is just incredible. Each movement honestly makes me feel, and I'm sure Chris and all of our listeners feel that they transcended into the cosmos. One track in particular that I really like is As the Earth Kissed the Moon. Could you talk about what went behind this track and the inspiration behind the title? Sure. Um and I should let you know that uh, it just went up on my uh, my channel on YouTube. Um, so that particular piece, I think it's up tonight, as the Earth Kissed the Moon, with these beautiful visuals that uh, I've been in contact with a couple of folks from uh, NASA, from um, uh, the imaging department where they make the videos out of the Hubble stills, Whoa. and then they turn them into three-dimensional videos. 
Oh, wow. And uh, so the, the, um, the YouTube piece, As the Earth Gets the Moon, is a, features all of these amazing NASA uh, videos, deep space videos. So anyway, um, that particular piece, a dear friend of mine um, in Los Angeles who still lives in Los Angeles, Paul A. Bell, he uh, is a wonderful guy. He traveled around the world for two years collecting bells. His last name is Abel. So, so he, uh, at one point, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Baraka, which is a movie that I scored. Yeah, well, at one point, Paul, uh, we, we took all of his bells, over 200 bells that he collected from around the world, and we set them up in the back of my studio, which was then in Marina del Rey. And uh, so those bells, uh, just a little side story, they became like the first nine or 10 minutes of Baraka, you hear those bells ringing in the background throughout. And that's, so that's Paul. And Paul um, is also a very fine, uh, as you call him a craftsman or a, uh, he, he and I built the, my version of the beam together. You probably mm. know about the beam as well. Principally from the Star Trek, the motion picture uh, original <laughs> score. Oh, that's <laughs> my main reference point for it. So, um, Paul, I was having dinner with he and his wife one night, and he said, you know, I've got a nightingale who starts singing, you know, when the sun goes down and sings all night long. And it's up on the telephone pole back there. And at the time, I think Paul was living close to Pacific Palisades. And I said, oh, I want to record it. So he said, okay. So I went and uh, spent the night on the roof of his garage in a sleeping bag. And it turned out it wasn't a nightingale, it was a mockingbird. Hmm. Um, and as you two know intimately in the spring, the, the way that you know that it's really spring in LA is the Hakaranda trees bloom, that wonderful purple color, and right. the mockingbirds start singing all night long all around the city. Mm-hmm. So I spent the night on Paul's garage recording this mockingbird and it was just an amazing experience. And so when I was going to write that movement to the um, Planetary Unfolding album, I was looking for some inspiration and I put that Mockingbird recording on and it was like, oh yeah, that's it. (laughs) So that kind of led me into the whole melodic chordal structure for that piece as the earth kissed the moon. And And I decided that that Mockingbird not only should had led me into writing that music, but we should be hearing that Mockingbird too. So that's that's how that particular movement came about. Okay, so we're going to play this track for listeners just so they can kind of hear it in its full glory. And then we'll be right back with more questions for you.
You're listening to Contact Wave on dublab.com. We are here with Michael Stearns, and we're so glad uh, to have the chance to ask him some questions. We just heard a track called As the Earth Kissed the Moon from his classic album, Planetary Unfolding, which is, as of now, uh, it has been reissued. And so you can find it on Bandcamp, courtesy of Project Records and anywhere else where uh, Project Records is making that available for folks. I wanted to ask you, Michael, w- when you were starting out in the mid to late 70s um, with this you know, project that essentially you've been, uh, you know, this road that you've been on ever since, I read that you were largely distributing your music by selling tapes at new age fairs, uh, that you would sell them to stores. I don't know that they probably, I assume they didn't call them new age fairs at the time, but maybe that's what we'd call them in retrospect. Uh, new age stores is what I guess we'd call them in retrospect, but places where, you know, people were looking for music for meditation and, you know, movements and other types of, uh, you know, people who are looking for music for those kinds of things and found your music complimentary and you were you were obviously um, making that music available to to those kinds of folks but it wasn't long before you started receiving commissions including one that i read from nasa you were just talking about um you know having this nasa video for your uh you know this newer nasa video but this was something that you'd been involved in way back then so i'm curious were you where were you in your career when you recorded Planetary Unfolding, if you can sort of give us an idea where you were and, you know, were you imagining it as, you know, just another tape that you could sell at one of these fairs or, or were you thinking of not this, you know, not just another tape, but, you know, was it along the lines of what you had been doing or were you thinking of it as something else? Well, uh, it's a bit of a story. Please. Um, that I, I was uh, at that, at that time, in the late 70s, I was uh, living in Palms, and I was uh, one of the principal musicians at uh, the Continuum Studio, which was founded by Emily Conrad. And it was a studio where Emily taught a movement meditation process. And she had live music for every every uh, class. And, uh, and I was one of the musicians, along with uh, Kevin Brahaney, and Don Preston, who was the keyboardist for the Mothers of Invention, mm-hmm. and uh, several other um, musicians, Fred Stofflet. So anyway, uh, Kevin came in kind of late on the scene, but he brought with him uh, the Serge synthesizer. And up to that point, I'd only been playing the Minimoog synthesizer. And Kevin made his synthesizer available to me and taught me a lot about uh, modular synthesis and patching and that sort of thing. And he um, he let me use it to record with and play for the classes at Continuum and took a long time to set up a patch um, because it does with modular synthesis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I would perform with Kevin's um, synthesizer and other instruments as well. And on a couple of nights, I kind of fell into this zone and that zone, I guess you call the planetary unfolding zone because what I performed on that instrument was the first movement to planetary unfolding. So what you hear when you hear that in the beginning movement is actually me performing live on Kevin's instrument. And uh, so that's where planetary unfolding started. 
And then uh, not long after that, um, Kevin had been building, he was working for the Serge company and who, whose synthesizer I was playing. And Kevin was working for them uh, building these synthesizers. So I had another friend by the name of Craig uh, Huxley, who was, a, was just starting out as a film composer. And uh, I had, I had, uh, he and I had worked together in a band, a free jazz band called Alivity. And then he went on to become a film composer. And I went on to record my first solo album, Ancient Leaves. And so um, at some point, Craig called me up and said, hey, I need a writing companion. Would you be interested in, you know, learning how to do the whole film composition thing? And this would have been about 1979. And uh, so uh, Kevin built a beautiful Serge synthesizer for Craig. And, uh, and then Kevin built a bigger Serge synthesizer for Craig. And Craig said, hey, do you want to buy my Serge, the one that I'm not using anymore? I said, you bet. So I bought uh, Craig's Serge that Kevin had built. And uh, that became the instrument that I composed the rest of the album on. And I composed it at, in the Continuum studio. And I also, I'd say in 1980, I went down to uh, my wife at the time. Her father was living down in Encinitas, California. I went, went down and spent the summer with him. And I just took over one bedroom and I composed the rest of the album in that bedroom and recorded the rest of the album. And at the end of the summer, I went back up to L.A. and um, Craig and I were working on a series of films with Maurice Jarre, the film, very famous film composer who did Dr. Zhivago and Lawrence of Arabia and some yeah. other big films. So he became like um, uh, kind of like my mentor. Um, and and while I was working with him. Craig took a week off and went to someplace with his wife and said, okay, studio is yours. So I, uh, I brought these multi-tracks that I had recorded this album, Planetary Unfolding, in to this studio where I had been working daily with this beautiful Amec 2500 mixing console that like went from one wall to the other wall. And wow. You know, really beautiful monitoring system, and uh, and that's where I mixed planetary unfolding. And you're right; at the time, we were making our money. I mean, I was making my money, a little bit of money, working at in Craig's studio and being his writing partner. Partner, and we'd done a bunch of silly movies like Motel Hell and Schizoid and what they call uh, <laughs> exploitation movies at the time. They called yeah. them exploitation movies. Right. So, uh, but the main bread that I was earning was from these what. Now you would look back and call New Age fairs. They called them like New Age awareness fairs or something. And and I had a booth and my wife and I would go and set up the booth and we would sell my music. And uh, Ethan Edgecombe had Fortuna Records and he had a booth there and he was selling Steve Roach's music. And uh, Stephen Halpern had a booth there. So there were... Mm. Three or four of us, Georgia Kelly had a booth there. Wow. There were three or four of us who had our own booths. And when we started out, we could only afford cassettes. So we were all selling cassettes. And this was before CDs were invented. Yeah. And then after that, 
when we had enough money, we could press LPs and then we were selling cassettes and LPs. So um, when I finished Planetary Unfolding, I, um, you know, I, I had pressed it as an LP and and had it available as a cassette. And I would be hawking it at these new age fairs, probably did about, I don't know, four, five, six of those every year. And they were in different places around the United States. And I had a Volkswagen van and we'd just throw the booth in the back and we'd head out and we'd sell our tapes. And once in a while I got to perform at these fairs too, which was great. So that's kind of, that's kind of the backstory of planetary unfolding and how it came to be. And, uh, I think we did four films back to back over two years. And at the same time, I got offered this film, Kronos, which is I did with Ron Fricke. And that became the first of three films, Kronos, Baraka, and Samsara, that I did with Ron. And and uh, I was just starting my first solo score. And that was very exciting for me. And you'll probably, people who know Kronos probably kind of recognize some of the sounds and similarities between Kronos and Planetary Unfolding. It is so fascinating to hear what was actually going on behind the scenes. There was an album that came out, a compilation that came out in 2013 called I Am The Center. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people in Los Angeles who picked up that record and learned about people who they had never heard of before, who were doing the kinds of things that people were doing here with modular synthesizers that, you know, either they didn't know it was happening in the seventies or, or whatever, some of those tracks came out, or they were just uh, blown away by what people were doing with some of the same instruments, things that they hadn't heard. The track of yours uh, that we just played as the earth kissed the moon was on that collection. And uh, Laraji was on that collection who has had a career renaissance since then. Um, Stephen Halperin, as far as, uh, you know, I could tell there was sort of a new age, an interest in this music, sort of blanket term of uh, private press new age music that had been made in the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. And people were rediscovering it. And it was really interesting. Um, I'm curious if you noticed uh, that happening, if people you know started reaching out to you, um, if you saw sort of a swell and interest in, in what you made of it, if you did. Well, I kind of got on this other track, um, which was the film scoring track, because I and when I did, after I did Kronos, I kind of I wouldn't say I had a reputation, but pe- that's when people started to really look to me as as a um, you know more of a composer composer than a new age composer or an ambient mm-hmm. composer, mm-hmm. and so that Kronos is what actually launched me into. I think I did, I ended up doing like 22 IMAX films kind of back to back. And then I became wow. known as the IMAX guy. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, as I, as I've gone through life, you know, I've, I've kind of just, I've, and I have done solo music. I was doing solo music during that time, but not at the level of someone like Steve Roach who was doing, you know, album after album after album. Once in a while, I would let, uh, you know, release an album. Uh, but a lot of the work I did were soundtrack albums. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't really notice, I would say, the uptick at that time because I was, you know, I was driving down a different highway. <laughs> right. 
yeah so the album was originally released back in 1981 a time before computers were accessible have computers fundamentally changed your approach to composition well i think uh the increase in or the the changes or the unfolding um of technology has definitely changed the way i i come to write music or record music um definitely um it, you know for when i did planetary unfolding a lot of it was done on a tac 3340 quarter inch four track recorder which i had one steve roach had one i think kevin had one and that was like the only the machine that we could afford that we could do multi-track recording on and then that morphed into uh the Tascam 80-8 so then we had eight tracks to play on and for me once i started you know moving into the film arena then i had these giant two-inch 24-track machines that weighed five or six hundred pounds you know <laughs> sitting in the studio and that gave me 24 tracks to record on and then things would you know slowly started shifting to digital and I remember my first Pro Tools set up. Pro Tools is a, you know, software and, and uh, now it's Avid uh, Pro Tools. But at the time it was yeah, DigiDesign yeah. Pro Tools. And I could only record four tracks onto a hard drive. That was it. And, uh, and then it became eight tracks. And then it became 16 tracks. And now it's unlimited tracks. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's all changed. The whole, every time there's a shift there's a new level of possibilities and that same shift has happened in the world of synthesizers i mean you know back in the day of planetary unfolding there was serge synthesizer the Buchla synthesizer and the moog synthesizer right yeah. right that was it you know yeah. and so i was really lucky to know kevin and have that introduction into modular synthesis and in serge synthesizer but now, you know, the back of my studio over there, see, I don't know if you can see, but there's like, there's so much modular synthesis yeah. stuff. It's yeah. absolutely insane. We're looking at um, several synthesizers. <laughs> yeah. So now, you know, my studio is filled with these, you know, keyboard synthesizers, but also this, the back third of the synthesis of the studio is all modular synthesizers. Yep. And now, there's all of these little boutique country uh, yeah. companies all over the world that are creating these little boutique modules. And it's like every time one comes out, you know, you're watching a YouTube video and you're going, oh, my gosh, I've got to have that. Think what would happen <laughs> if I combined it with this module and Absolutely. then process it through that module. And you get very excited about it. And there's a whole, you know, genre of of people who are creating these modules and then self-manufacturing the modules and people who are buying the modules and then these uh, online groups that are trying out the modules and giving feedback about the modules and then these different zones where you can buy and sell modules so you know you might buy a module and you just don't connect with it like sometimes you buy a synthesizer i mean like a keyboard synthesizer a moog mm -hmm. or a roland or a nord and you just don't connect with it i mean in la you have more resources but here in new mexico you kind of have to if you have a friend who buys one then you can go over to their house and try it out but you know as a musician you either resonate with an instrument or you don't resonate with an instrument and so 
you, you know, you save a lot of money by buying the things that you resonate with. And it's the same with the modules. It's like you buy, I might buy five or six different modules over a period of six months. And, and some of them I'll really connect with, and those will go in my big cases. Some I won't. So those I put on these different bulletin boards and, or on, you know, eBay or on reverb, and I sell the ones that I don't connect with. So yeah, absolutely. The technology is very exciting. It's gotten more and more exciting. And uh, I hope it continues to keep getting more and more exciting. I mean, it's just amazing now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So you mentioned uh, the movies you scored, Kronos, Baraka, and Samsara, directed by Ron Fricke. And, you know, Chris and I weren't old enough to watch Kronos and Baraka in theaters, but I, I saw Samsara in theaters and it like blew my mind. When you created those scores, what kind of feeling did you want it to capture and how did you go about doing it? Well, it was different for all three films. The first one, Kronos, which I uh, was released in 1985 or 86. Um, I just met Ron Fricke at that point, and he'd been listening to actually to Planetary Unfolding. Hmm. And uh, he, uh, I, I think he had been introduced to my music when he was working on a film called Koyaanisqatsi, which Godfrey Reggio had, uh, yeah. had made. And Ron was the the principal cinematographer on that and did some editing on it. So when he called me up um, to ask me if I would be interested in scoring Kronos, I'd always wanted to do an IMAX film, and that was the first one that I did. And uh, he said, have you seen Koyaanisqatsi? And I said, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and he said, well, this is going to be like Koyaanisqatsi, except, you know, uh, huge, because it's going to be an IMAX. And I said, great. So um, he took me down and I met uh, Jeffrey Kirsch, who was the head producer. He and Mark Magidson were the two producers. And Jeffrey was the head of the Ruben Fleet Space Theater down in San Diego at the time. And uh, and we watched a lot of material. And they hadn't shot any material for Kronos at that point. And so Ron said, OK, I'm going to have to trust you on this. Um, we're leaving. We're going to go away for three months and we're going to shoot all the footage for the movie. And I want you to write all the music and have it ready when we get back. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So he said, but I want you to come to Egypt first. So you kind of get a sense of how we're working. And because Kronos is about time and, and in Cairo, there are these different streams of time. So I'm going to fly you to Cairo. So he flew me to Cairo. And uh, and when I landed at the airport, it was a not like I expected. I mean, I'd been in kind of what you might call third world. I don't like to refer it to it in that way, but you know, uh, in other countries, let's just say that. So I'd been to Mexican and Central and South American airports, and so but I landed in Cairo, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I, we took the taxi down into uh, into Cairo from the airport. And we got into this big traffic jam and everybody was honking at each other. And I asked our driver, I said, why is everybody honking? Are they angry with each other? And he said, no, actually, we can actually hear where the other horns are. And so we get a sense of how close we are to other cars. And, uh, and I said, thought, wow, it's like echolocation with dolphins. That's amazing. Wow. And we got a little bit farther and I looked down a side street 
And a block away, there was a herd of camels going down, filling the whole street. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> Toto, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, we got it to the pyramids because we stayed at a hotel at the base of the pyramids. And it was like this whole other level of time. And so I really understood what Ron was talking about. It's like Cairo has all these different layers and flowings of time going on. And so then I flew back to the United States and I started recording the music. I had three months. I had a two inch 16 track recorder with a 45 minute roll of film on it, of not film, of tape, two inch tape. And I just started writing the music and wrote it straight through until I filled up the whole tape, 45 minutes of music. Oh, wow. And then I mixed it. And when they got back, I gave him the music and they edited every frame of the picture to the music. Wow. Without me ever having seen any of the film. <laughs> that is not how it usually works. No, <laughs> no. So on Baraka, which was the next film, it was kind of a mixture of that. I actually went with the crew to several of the locations, um, the Galapagos Islands and Peru and Brazil, to kind of get a sense of, and also to record the whole sequence in Baraka with the Cayapo, um, Native Americans out in the Amazon, um, that all that I recorded on a DAT recorder, which was the height of technology at that point, 1991, wow. and uh, for two-track recording. So for Baraka, about half of it, I scored you know, watching the picture, and about half of it, I scored, I just wrote the music, and they edited the picture too. And that's that project is where I met Lisa Gerard. Um, mm -hmm. Ron had heard about Lisa and I'd heard about Lisa and Mark had some connection to her. So he got in touch with her and she came into my studio in Marina del Rey and we recorded her singing um, just to certain parts of the film, which you probably know. And okay. um, so that was how Samsara came about or not, excuse me, Baraka came about. Then Samsara, which was 10 years or 11 years after that, um, it was totally different that um, at that point I had moved to Santa Fe and Mark said, well, we want you to score this film, but we want you to come to LA to score it. So I got a 24 foot box truck and I put a lot, most of my studio in the back of the box truck wow. and I drove it to LA and Mark had me set up in this little uh, theater with, uh, with full uh, 4k projection on a, like a, a theater screen. And I set up in the middle of the theater and, uh, and I, it was only a, like a Dolby stereo theater. So I transformed it into 7.1 um, sound <laughs> oh system. And then I sat in the middle of the theater, but I didn't record anything wild that they edited to. I, the whole thing was scored watching the picture, which is the way it's usually done right. in theatrical yeah. films. Yeah. Uh, thank you for putting us uh, in the room with you um, when you were working on those films. Like, like Chuck said, we, you know, they're still mind blowing. I was watching uh, Baraka last night and it, it's incredible to me that that movie was released in 1992. It, it, it looks so beautiful uh, and it, it sounds so good. It's like what, whatever you guys 
whatever idea you guys had going into that, it was the right idea because it's really, um, it, it's, you know, it's got a lot of longevity. Uh, yeah. b- before we let you go, there was one more thing I wanted to ask. It sort of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier because, you know, we've talked about some, just a couple of the different, you know, phases of your career. And I'm wondering now, you know, obviously you're looking back at Planetary Unfolding because you're re-releasing it. When you think about that record, what kind of an artist do you see? Do you see, you know, a version of yourself that had a lot to learn? You know, do you realize that maybe you were on to something more than you even knew at the time? Like what, what's sort of that experience of kind of looking back, uh, you know, in time at a younger Michael Stearns? What, what is that like? Well, I feel grateful for that time when myself and Kevin Brahaney and Steve Roach and Constance Denby and Georgia Kelly and all of us were like living, you know, at least in the same city, like Steve and I were like two or three blocks apart. You know, I was on one side of Venice Boulevard and Palms and he was in Culver City on the other side of Venice Boulevard. So literally we could walk to each other's houses and studios. So I feel looking back, I feel so grateful to have that as a foundation for what came and what has come after. And I must say, you know, there were a lot of contributors to that time. There's uh, Irv Wilson who passed away I think three years ago, who was a microtonalist and an atomic physicist. And he um, he was a mentor of mine uh, and introduced me to microtonal music and what it would be like to move outside of the piano or the clavier keyboard and what it might be to see who you are as a human being mm-hmm. that isn't defined by the Western 12-tone equally tempered scale. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, and I was reading Carlos Castaneda and I was going out into the desert during that time and having these amazing experiences. I'm so grateful that I was given those opportunities to have those kinds of experiences and to be, you know, with this, as we spoke about a little bit earlier, this unfolding in technology and being able to ride that wave and allow it to help me express whatever this is that I am expressing, which I don't really, you know, it's been labeled new age or film music or whatever, but I don't, I don't really have any labels for it. It's just, it's what I do. You know, I talk to my friends and they, you know, they create a new album and they play that album over and over again for the next six months. But when I create an album, unless I hear it on the radio or on Spotify or something, Forget it. I never go back. There's always something new that I want to do or explore. So I'm grateful to have that, you know, impulse or whatever that's kept me just unfolding and being excited about what I do and being excited about other music that I hear. I mean, it's cool. I just, I feel like uh, my personality is along for the ride. Well, I'm so happy to leave it there because I think that's a great place to leave it. Uh, is there anything else you want folks to know about what you have going on or, or anything coming up that you want to put on people's radar? Well, that uh, project is going to be releasing, you know, some of my old uh, recordings and uh, there'll be new releases. And I've been working because I work in film. I have this beautiful 9.1.4 Dolby 
Atmos sound system here that I like to actually not just mix into, but I actually compose into that. Uh, currently, I'm working on um, a project with Julius Horstwies, who is a uh, fractal artist from Amsterdam. And he does these giant moving fractals. And he did this installation using my music in a wow. huge gallery in New York City last year um, in Chelsea. And now he's doing this full length feature dome, the largest dome in Europe, 3D fractal extravaganza. And I'm Whoa. scoring the whole thing. I, I leave next Wednesday and I'm flying to Germany to meet with him and listen and watch the first quarter. We finished a, a quarter of it. So kind of that's what I'm involved in immediately. And it's so cool. I mean, it's like, it, it just, it's mind, it's mind blowing. It's just amazing. <laughs> and I'm hoping things will settle down a bit over there. I mean, I don't know what's, what it's all about, but I guess when I get my feet on the ground over there, I'll find out firsthand. You will. Uh, well, safe travels to you, Michael. And thank you again for being so gracious with your time and talking to us today. Yeah, Thank you, so Chris. Much. Thank you, Chuck. Well, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Michael Stearns. It was amazing to get to talk to him about, you know, really a lot of his work throughout his career. He actually, after the interview, he reached out because he wanted to share a little bit more information about the track that we played and we were talking about as the earth kissed the moon, uh, which I'm glad he did. It's really interesting. So he wrote this in an email and I thought it might be fun to just share it with you. So this is what he wrote. He said, that piece was inspired by a full moon hike in Red Rock Canyon, a state park that's about 20 miles north of Mojave in California. Red Rock became one of my escape places to decompress from LA and reconnect with the mystery. One of the rangers there became a good friend and took me to areas most folks never see. One night, a friend and I were hiking by moonlight discussing one of the Native American prophecies. In the prophecy, there was a line about the big shift beginning when the eagle lands on the moon. The lunar module that landed, Apollo 11, was named the Eagle. That started me thinking about the Earth kissing the moon, feeling into the mystery of how that prophecy is coming to pass, having been written hundreds of years ago. So those are the words of Michael Stearns. Thanks again to Michael for joining us on the show and spending some time with us in the spirit of that old school modular synthesizer, new age feel. I selected a track from cool maritime this track is called temporal drift it's brand new hope you enjoy it you're listening to contact wave on dub lab
Once again, this is Contact Wave with your hosts, Chuck Soho and Chris Kissel. And we started that set with Cool Maritime with Temporal Drift. After that was Patricia Wolf with Springtime in Croatia on the upcoming record, See Through on Ballmat Records. And then Chris, you chose this wonderful track from our good friend, Brad Rose. Yeah, so Brad Rose recording a charlatan. This track is called Sinking Between Pyramids. It's from an album that came out today, short album called Streams. And it is, I'm excited and honored and flattered to say, an expansion of, uh, if you, you know, folks recall when we had Brad on the show, you know, seven or eight months ago, and he did a basically a special composition for the show. He's expanded that and, and made it really a, a full record. So, so cool to hear it. It sounds incredible and, uh, and was excited to play it. So yeah, that's brand new charlatan. Yes. Thanks so much, Brad. And after that, we played a track from Jonas Reinhardt with Oxus on a ragged ghost on one of our favorite labels, trouble in mind. And after that was Oh young with tucked in my stomach off of the record, Imagine Naked on NNA Tapes. And after that was a track from Julian Stein with Herons at Night from Pattern River. And then we closed that out with Forest Management, one after another on their upcoming record, Palm Wife on Husky Pants, which I'm really excited for. Always good to have new Forest Management. Always something to look forward to. All right, let's throw in some more music. You're listening to Contact Wave on Dub Lab.
to contact wave on dublab.com hope you enjoyed that raucous live track from the legendary noah howard we started that set off with a track by maw that was something that you selected my dear friend chuck yeah so i chose a track from maw which is a collaboration between frank meadows jessica ackerley and eli wallace on the great label atlantic rhythms and the record is called A Maneuver Within, and the track was called Pro Phase, which I'm 
excited when this record comes out. And after that, we played a track from Andrew Bernstein, which I am a huge fan of. And the track was called Influx, which was an excerpt on the upcoming record, a presentation on House You Mountain. Then after that was a track from Joyful Talk, and it was called Take It to the Grave on the album Familiar Science Science on Constellation. And then I chose this one track from Mary Halverson called Night Shift on an upcoming record on None Such called Amaryllis. And I closed this out with a track called Olay by Noah Howard from the Live in Europe Volume 1 uh, album that uh, is from the year 1975, but was re-released in 2020. I just like it. So I decided to play that track from it. So that's how we're going to close. Thank you so much for listening to our show this morning. It was a pleasure to bring this music to you. And more than anything, it was a huge honor and pleasure to talk to the great Michael Stearns, wizard of the new age and titan of the uh, massive, overwhelming, and gorgeous film scores of the IMAX uh, variety. So thank you to Michael Stearns for joining us. Make sure, and I'm this is a personal endor- endorsement, go and pick up Planetary Unfolding on Bandcamp on the Project Records uh, page. That's P-R-O-J-E-K-T. And... Uh, by the CD. What the hell? This has been Contact Wave on Dublab. Until next time, it's been so good to be with you, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. <laughs>